Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. Dear Damsels, not going to lie, I feel like the recent Supreme Court decision really impacted my dating life. I can't help but feel like I'm judging everyone I go on a date with. And if they're not liberal, I automatically judge them. I find myself coming off as aggressive on first dates by asking questions that matter to me, like, are you pro-choice? How do you feel about LGBTQ plus people? I would rather people who don't agree with these things to not waste my time. However, I now get into arguments on most of my dates. How do I find the middle ground and learn to not hate men again? Love always. Politics is affecting my potential partnerships. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the vibe? There's some damsels in the DM. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them, yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro. And today we have the absolutely amazing Mariah Best, who is a filmmaker, actor, writer, and sex and love coach, come on the podcast today. I met her first at the Bentonville Film Festival in Arkansas. We also had Heather from the Bentonville Film Festival come on. And this episode, I feel like really gets to the roots and the mission of this podcast to just talk about leading with love in your dating life and Alejandro, what did you think of this episode? I was so fascinated, not only in her thoroughness and being able to kind of work through our own things that we need to work through, but also just like the power of relationships and, you know, being able to have a a level-headed understanding of not only oneself, but the other person. And whether, you know, you're in a first date with someone or in a long-term relationship she has so many powerful points of contemplation that I think we would all benefit from listening to so I'm really excited for listeners to dive in I mean I think this episode was really powerful and I'm excited for you all to have a listen let's get into it all right and here we are with Mariah hello Mariah thank you so much for coming on the podcast today Thank you for having me. What a wonderful way to round out the work day. So Mariah and I actually met at the Bentonville Film Festival. We have one other person. Um, did you meet Heather from who I was with? Um, Heather Terman. She's I did. I did meet Heather uh, very briefly. Like the last night we were all just, uh, you know, drinking and bemoaning the world. Not heavily, very responsibly. exactly exactly so Heather came on the podcast too so we've now had a couple Bentonville people come on the podcast but I met Mariah Bentonville as I said and I was just really inspired by your film and your work and I 
approached her in the creepiest way. And I was just like, Hey, I um, stalked you on Instagram. I see what you're doing and I really like it. And please come on my podcast. Oh, I didn't find it creepy at all, which probably says a lot about me. I loved it. I'm like, yes, come at me with that energy. I could talk about this stuff all day. And you know, here we are. So then take us back, tell us everything, how you became an actor, how you became a filmmaker, a writer, and also about your work as a relationship coach, as this is a dating podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll try to do it concisely. Oh, great. I will talk for two hours and uh, bore people half to death. Um, So my dad's an actor. So I grew up in, um, he's a voiceover actor. So I grew up in recording studios and that was always just a very big part of my life. My extended family are all performers. So that was just, you know, basically a part of my DNA and upbringing. So I acted professionally throughout my childhood and like pre-tween, pre-teen dumb. Uh, Took a little break uh, during college's time, came back after graduating and was like, what am I doing? I obviously am an actor and this is a part of who I am and something I want to do. So that's basically the genesis of that. Uh, As far as coaching, I started coaching Like the first time I even heard about what coaching was, was when I was in my senior year at Barnard College in New York. Um, And we had a speaker come, like a career speaker. And she was an executive coach for, you know, really, really fancy corporations. And I remember thinking like, I love what this is all about. I would be really into this. And like, I want to be an actor and this doesn't feel right. And these aren't my people. So flash forward many years down the road, I was first connected with my personal coach. Um, We taught a class together and I kind of learned about what she was doing. And she mainly worked with, at the time, people with chronic health issues. And I have various autoimmune disease. And that's what basically like initially pulled me into the fold. And after struggling with figuring out what the hell was going on with me for many, many years, within the time I worked with her, I got, you know, a diagnosis, amazing treatment plans, like my life just changed in three months. And she basically was the one who was like, have you ever thought about doing this? And for whatever reason, you know, the suggestion landed at exactly the right moment. And I took it and I became a coach myself. And the love and sex piece came in to tie it all back. This is the problem when you do so many things is your explanation for how you started doing things is like a whole novel. So oh, we love it. We're on the last bit. We're on the final <laughs> chapter. There's huge fans of tangents here too. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> <the> novels. <laughs> here so. we are. Um, so the love, sex, and relationship bit. I mean, one could say that I've been doing this since I was, I don't know, in high school. Um, I was thinking about this when you, when we were getting ready to go on or to record this podcast every day on my way to school, I would give my friend's little sister, little tidbits of like sex and love advice. And it's hilarious. Like looking back part of them, I was like, wow, I was a really profound, intuitive kid was definitely a virgin at the time. So this was like founded purely in fantasy, (laughs) cosmopolitan and like internet searches. But some of the stuff that I advised her was just 100% unhinged. But I say this all like there's always been this weird little pull towards sex and romance and all of those things in my life. And after I started coaching, people started coming towards me being like, I really want to 
really want to have the sexual confidence you have. I really want to feel the way about my sex life that you do. And that kind of led me to developing different coaching programs and, and focusing a lot of my practice on love, sex, relationship. So that's, what kind of programs yeah. do you um, design or create or yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Actually, um, I am going to be hosting one. If all goes as planned starting in October, early October, actually October 2nd, it's a five month coaching program on loving sex. That's just what I entitle them. And it's really about um, a lot of stuff. It's about cultivating authenticity and trust and safety in the bedroom. It's about learning how to communicate with radical honesty and acceptance and just, you know, feel, feel better about the sex that we're having. That sounds amazing. Is this yeah. like accessible via Zoom or how do people uh, enroll? Yeah, it's going to be via Zoom. I'm going to have two in-person intensives, one at the beginning, one at the end. It's five months long and it's going to be two Zooms a month. And then there'll be like peer conversations in between. I'm genuinely really thrilled about this offering I think it is going to be sick so is this now this is not the first time you've created uh an immersive program like this right? mm -mm. Okay. no I mean it's definitely the most involved one that I've offered in the longest but I've led a shorter coaching group on the theme called loving sex um but that was abbreviated I feel like that was six weeks I've also led a group on boundaries, boundaries with self, boundaries in romance, boundaries with work. But yeah, I love leading groups. I My practice is both groups and one-on-ones. And where do you think that inherent sexual confidence that you talked about having from a young age came from? Oh my God, truly, I have no idea. I mean, my dad is like, that's like a weird thing to say on a podcast. Probably my dad. Um, <laughs> um, my dad is like a very open, comfortable person. And my mom is more on the private repressed side. So it really could have gone either way. I'm not sure. I feel like for me, I really see sex as how adults play. And I think when I was in the depths of my autoimmune stuff, that felt like one of the few ways that still felt light and free and playful for me and like an escape from a lot of the heaviness and deep fatigue I was experiencing. And I really understand that everybody's journey is different. And a lot of people with health issues and, and fatigue issues, sex can really feel like not accessible. And that's really okay. Everybody has their own journey with it but I think I've always just really cherished it and seen it as a place where I can just be like my freest self wow. I wish I could give like a how-to on that um but the good news is like there I believe everybody is having the sex that they're supposed to be having right now for a reason like there's a lesson in it you know and usually it's the sex that we're having that and I also want to caveat that, like, I'm not talking about inherently abusive or problematic sex. Like, obviously that, right. it goes, it goes without saying that that needs to be addressed, but I'm talking about sex that maybe isn't by one standards, mind blowing or awesome or anything like that. I think that usually the biggest problems around sex are our ideas that there is a problem with the sex that we're having. So the thing itself isn't the problem. The judgment of it is the problem. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
And I met your boyfriend at Bentonville. So <laughs> I'm curious, like, how long have you two been together? Yeah, that is a great question that I don't know the answer to, um, which is amazing and feels like huge growth on my end. I feel like we've been together six, five, six, maybe oh, awesome. seven years. So a minute. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So two questions then. One, how does he feel about your work? And two, how did your previous partnerships inform the work that you do with love and sex? Great question. My partner is incredibly private. Like he really values privacy in this very intense way. And that is like very inspiring to me because I never really thought about privacy as a value or, or um, even a desirable trait. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Uh, but I think on some level, we're always drawn to people who we can learn from. And I think for me, he's been a huge teacher in terms of boundaries, really, and figuring out, you know, what's mine and, and what's to share. So I'm respectful of him. I don't like share things that would make his skin crawl. But at the same time, he knows that part of being with me means I'm going to talk about my sex life because, um, I do so in service of other people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably pretty cool to dig a sex coach. So <laughs> I think he's, I think he's yeah. winning there. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question though, because you've mentioned boundaries a few times. What advice or are there any universal tips that you might be able to give listeners, whether they're first starting to date someone or... Mm -hmm whether they've been in a relationship with them five, six, seven years? Yes. Okay, so this one is my favorite. So like we set boundaries not for other people, we set them for ourselves. Yeah. So, so a lot of times when we think about boundaries, we think we're like doing them either to like punish someone or train someone or get them to behave in another way. And that's just not the case. Like when we set boundaries, we're teaching people how to love ourselves better and we're loving other people better because we're not creating situations where resentment is building, where expectations aren't being communicated. So that's one big one. Another big one is that I think sometimes I know, and I know this really resonates for me. Like I was always really good at articulating a boundary. Like saying a boundary was like my jam. I could tell you what my rules were verbally. No, no problem but holding a boundary is an entirely different thing. So in a way I would be out of integrity with myself when I had clarity about what my boundaries were, but I wasn't allowing myself the discomfort of holding them and maintaining them. So I think allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and knowing that holding a boundary isn't gonna just be like, oh, I'm so empowered. Like everything is working out now. I fixed everything because I have boundaries. Like sometimes it can genuinely feel like you're dying because you're doing something so antithetical to how society to teaches you to be a nice person. So that's one. And then another one is I think people think when they finally muster up the courage to set a boundary, the fact that they've set it once, it should be honored. And yes, in a perfect world, it should. But that's not how we work as people. Sometimes we need to repeat our boundaries multiple times. I feel like 
when I'm, you know, in myself and I'm feeling comfortable, I can talk about things that I don't want to happen and I can come off as being strong and confident in that way. But then in a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable, like when is the time to advocate for my boundaries? I have such a hard time doing that because I'm such a people pleaser. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky because I have a great therapist, but my therapist in like a particular situation that I'm dealing with right now, she was like, okay, you're not advocating for your boundaries. So I'm going to hold you accountable that if you do work with this person again, like I'm going to tell you that you cannot work with this person again because you do not advocate for your boundaries. But you know, she, I'm lucky that I have her to hold me accountable in that way. Because it's a lot of times an accountability that I can't take for myself because I hate rocking the boat. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence with that boundary struggles are go hand in hand with people pleasing and you know like fundamentally we just all want to be loved and all want to be liked and so much of growing and evolving as individuals letting go of our you know like crushing grip on those things but it all is really loving and lovely and human and natural to have those instincts but yeah I mean boundary stuff is a practice that's why they call it a practice because you have to practice it Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had asked you a two-part question. I remember. I remember. My second part of the question about um, how your partnerships previously to your current partnership have informed um, your work as a sex and love coach. Oh my gosh. So much. I mean, I think the through line of all of this is that my relationships have brought me to my understanding of um, myself as somebody who is codependent. And that really was just like such a deep entry point into my work of understanding how we relate to people, relationships, love, all these things. I mean, I think it's almost a universal truth that people, the people who gravitate towards a specific coach or person or individual are people who have pretty similar paths or at least like a few areas of residence. So for me, it's just like really the more that I was able to unpack my own stuff and work with my own shortcomings and challenges that I was able to find more peace in romantic connections. Yeah, I'm trying to think about like what's shifted from my previous relationship to this one. In my previous relationship, you know, I was in a very long-term relationship and it was my first relationship. So a lot of times in your first relationship, you're just discovering what it means to be connected to a person. And you're trying to kind of imitate templates of what you've seen a relationship should look like, or you're, you know, creating these ideas of what it should be. So like at the beginning, when I talked about how I'd been with my partner for like, question mark years with my previous partner I would have them like acknowledge our anniversary every single month or whatever which is just like so precious and embarrassing and sweet like you know so it just needed so much from that partnership and that person was you know going through their own stuff couldn't really give it to me and in this relationship it's like neither can he which is great but it's because we both are just so on our own journeys of our own work and growing spiritually. And I think the fact that as a codependent, I picked a partner that's so independent was just like a straight God shot, so to speak, and a lesson in in and of itself. I think I just tangented to the point where like, 
No, not at all. Who knows what the question was? Did no. I did I address? Oh no, yeah, it? it was it was great. And I have a follow up because I love what you were saying about the cultivating peace portion of what you were talking about because I feel like in our sex lives having that inner peace is so important mm. and also what you were talking about with that willingness to play and I'm yeah. curious what your take on people who have sort of that repressed sexuality because of trauma mm. and then also women I feel like as women sex a lot of the times feels like it's to please your partner. And it's not always women have that idea of like, how am I using this to please myself? And I think the conversation is for sure changing because of people like you who, you know, make sure that women are starting to see it as something they can do for themselves as well. But I'm curious how you address both of those issues within your clients and also just in the broader conversation. Well, as far as trauma, you know, first and foremost, I always make sure, like I, I wanna see where my client is in their relationship to any sort of trauma that's taken place. Is it fresh trauma? Have they processed that trauma? Do they have a really great licensed trauma therapist? Are they at a place where they want to start working with that trauma? It's really necessary for people to take the time that they need to process the hurt of a trauma. It's really layered and really complex. And I would say that with what I do, I'm not the person to do that with as like a a first line That needs to be done with a trauma therapist. That needs to be done with somebody who has really wonderful expertise in that. For me, I have worked with clients who have had sexual trauma and have some distance and healing around it and where they're starting to want to explore what it means to now have a loving, safe sex life when in the past that might not have been the experience for them. And I would say with that, like, you know, we're not all out here trying to be like, I don't know, porn stars or something like that. It's about creating an experience where you feel safe, where you feel seen, where you feel like your body is yours and a place that you can come to and and feel pleasure and, and heal in a lot of ways. And I think sex can be really healing in that place. So in some, in terms of trauma, I always make sure whoever is in front of me has had adequate support for that and see where they are in, in, respect to that before we start doing our our work together and I also really encourage people to let me know like how my feedback is landing with them because they're in control and experiences about them and not me so I grew up starting at age 11 and like all girls schools and then I went to a women's or traditionally women's college um so from a young age I was just really encouraged to be very verbal, which was really interesting because then when I went to Barnard, I was in a psych class one day and we had some, you know, male students from Columbia there. And I remember they started speaking and in my mind, I was like, why the fuck are you talking? (laughs) Which is like, (laughs) so the opposite of most people's experiences. And, you know, I had my own anger to work through on that front. Like that was a me problem, not a them problem. Um, As far as sex being for a partner and not for you, I really get it. I mean, that is such a common experience. But the thing that I would say in that regard is like, figure out what you're trying to prove through having sex. Like identify what that belief is. Identify what it is that you're using sex for. So like, if it's like, I want to be seen, I want somebody to stay with me. I want 
you know, to be affirmed as a desirable person. That is something that needs to be worked with independent of sex. And that's where we would really work. We would address like, like, that's so interesting. Like, is it true? Like, what makes you feel that you aren't desirable? Like, how is, is your being desirable even relevant? You know, so I would really sit with the belief independent of the sex itself. So a lot of times, like when we're in a dynamic of trying to prove something through sex or trying to get something from a partner by having sex with them. And like the idea of um, sex has become some sort of weird reward system or like an affirmation of something. Sometimes it's really important to put the kibosh on sex and to just not be having sex for a minute. And to really let the actual needs that are coming through, like, are you needing to be held? Are you needing to be affirmed? Um, are you needing to, you know, have your partner be interested in you and, and not be initiating sex with you? Do you want tenderness that's physical, but not sexual? And a lot of times, and by the way, this has to be like a mutual conversation between partners. Otherwise it can feel like just withdrawing and can create other, other issues in the dynamic. But I think in an ideal situation, a sex, a sexual relationship really should be just that. It's like a relationship between two people. It's something that two people build together. So in like opening the channels of communication and really co-creating a dynamic that does something for you and feels fulfilling and safe, that can totally change a sex life. That's beautiful. And speaking of loving and safe, what are some ways that you suggest to your clients on cultivating that loving, carefree nature and having fun during sex? Yeah, I mean, I think taking it slow, like don't, and I don't necessarily mean the sex itself. I mean, just being gentle with yourself and your expectations of what good sex can be. Like my main thing with sex is sometimes you can have amazing sex that begins in really awkward ways. Like we all have this idea in our mind that sex should start in this really like fiery, passionate, like hot, throw me up against a wall way. And sometimes it does. And that is awesome. And I hope you have so many of those experiences in your life. And other times sex will begin with you and your partner doing like weird voices or laughing about something or having a conversation. And then partway through, like you'll be at a certain angle and you're like, oh shit, sex is hot. Like I love sex or whatever. I think allowing for, you know, not every sexual experience having to be 10 out of a 10, like super hot all the way through, that can really set you free. Mm. Um, I think another thing during sex, not to be confused with having sex for your partner, but a lot of times, particularly women, um, but not exclusively struggle with, you know, their body and wanting to either like look hot during sex or angle their body in a certain way, or just feeling in general, like really conscious of or um, negative towards their body. In those situations, I would say, focus on your partner. Like don't look inward, don't watch yourself having sex. And I don't mean like literally in front of a mirror, if that does it for you, do it. But I mean, don't, don't take yourself out of your body and watch you mm. having sex, like watch your partner. And I think just refocusing the attention onto another person can help you be more in the experience itself. So those are a few things. Another thing that I would say too is like, sometimes before sex, people need to take a pause 
and give themselves time to really come back to their body, to slow down, um, to recenter. And that's perfectly okay. Like it's important to really cultivate a self-practice in terms of like sexual connection, because we all have so much going on and it can be really hard to be with another human being when your brain is all over the place. And the other thing is sometimes during sex, your brain is going to be all over the place. So many people come to me and say like, you know, I just want to get out of my head, whatever. I get it. And I hope that you can experience moments of that too. But just like when you meditate and they tell you it's about watching your thoughts like drift away and then coming back to center. It's the same with sex. Like it's okay if your mind goes somewhere. Sometimes when I'm having those situations happen during sex, I'll literally tell my partner, like I'm in my head, like I need you to do this or can we just sit for a second? And it's great. I really like that. It reminds me of um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, where he speaks of exactly what you're talking about. In order to stay centered and grounded and present, we can't entertain both sides of an argument or whatever conversation that is going on in our heads. Because ultimately, like, yes, those might seem like parts of ourselves, but at the same time, like, they're really not. They're not in the moment of what we're experiencing. And yeah, what you're describing is like a beautiful parallel to that, where it's like, and I love the suggestion that you said too, where it's like, if you are in your head while you're having sex, focus on your partner, focus on something else that's going to like get you away from those voices that are scurrying along in your brain. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. what better way to like be in the moment than to figure out what's going to, you know, please not only yourself, but your partner as well. A hundred percent, especially because that could be so hot. And I mean, love the the fact that my thoughts are being paralleled with the untethered soul. I mean, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now that I've bombarded you with all of my relationship questions, um, we can now move into your film um, and how we met. And also just, you know, obviously there have been a lot of changes since you created this film. And I saw that you added that little note at the end towards your film. So, you know, walk us through why you wanted to create the film, what inspired you to do it, and then how it's been given everything that's happened with our current political climate. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, we met at Bentonville, both of us uh, showing feminist kick-ass films um, or pilots. Is it a pilot? It's an episodic series. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Long story short, Sassy's looking at making it an anthology, so it could stand on its own one day. But Very cool. Well, <laughs> by the way, and I don't think I had a chance to share it with you. It was amazing. I loved it. So fun, so informative and important. Um, so uh, Miso, I started writing Miso in 2018 when I found out and learned that there were actual abortion doulas. I always associated doulas specifically with uh, birth. I even knew that there were death doulas, but I had no idea that there were abortion doulas. Beyond that, and like I shared earlier, you know, I've been in environments raised around girls and women and feminism. And, you know, I always considered myself pretty well versed when it came to um, abortion and, and all of those things. But I literally didn't even know that medication abortion was a thing. Like I exclusively knew about surgical abortion. That was the abortion that I heard more about more regularly or had like access to via like the people in my life, whatever. So when I learned about this, I was like, 
this needs to be a film, which is wild because it's actually the first like short I've ever written. So it's not a common sensation for me to be like, this needs to be a film. <laughs> Anyways, made it a film. Uh, my amazing friend from college, uh, Camille Bernier-Green, produced it with me. She introduced me to her friend, Alex Gambotti, who became a really close friend of mine, who joined our little producerial team and is the other actress in the film. And from there, Miso was born. So Miso is a short narrative film that takes place um, where a lot of abortion films leave off, which is the abortion itself. So it's over the course of a single day, one of the women, Alex's character, is going through a self-managed medical abortion. And my character is her doula, who's helping like guide her through that process and support her. And so for me, what was really important in this film was making a short that centered on deep relationship through embodied experience. And abortion was kind of like the vehicle through which these people came together. Because I find that um, people, people have almost immediate intimacy with each other when they share a physical experience. Like it creates this bond uh, that's immediate and powerful and profound. And you know, what I've kind of learned over the years is relationship is just the guiding beacon in my life, like in my coaching practice, right? I'm mainly coaching about love, sex, and relationship. In my writing, I'm writing about relationship. And in my life, that's just like a hugely significant force, uh, driving force for me. So yeah, that's what, that's what the film is about, what goes on between these two characters. And like I said, I wrote it in 2018. Um, we filmed it um, January 2020, so right before the pandemic. We had like a very slow process throughout the whole thing. And then like very, very strangely, we are on like the festival circuit right now during this crazy time where Roe has been overturned. And it just feels so important to get this material in people's hands because so much, and I know this is another Mariah speech, but it's important because we're talking about abortion. Need it. Um, so at a time where I think so much of the narrative has been like, if abortion is illegal, people will die of abortion. And that's true, but that's true because there isn't enough education that the fact of the matter is they simply don't have to. Like the illegality is a shit show, it's terrible, like nobody can diminish that and self-managed abortion or abortion can be safely self-managed through um through abortion pills in this incredibly safe way that doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable but it is safe and uh yeah that's that's that do you think that the abortion doula will become a more, you know, mainstream way of managing your abortion now that you can't just go into a clinic in some states and get one? Sure. I mean, I definitely, I know for, for sure the pill will become a way and ordering pills online will definitely become a more uh, frequent choice for people by necessity. As far as seeking out an abortion doula, I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen some really cool things online. Like there are free abortion doula trainings. So I think to some extent, you know, it'll definitely be a more popular choice than it's been because people are starting to think about like, oh shit, what really are my options in a new way? 
Um, I would love to see more people uh, seeking out that kind of support because I think I believe in just supporting yourself and finding support no matter what experience you're, or journey you're on and how, how wonderful that there are people who are informed and, and can provide that. But I don't know. We'll see. No, yeah, it's interesting. Go I ahead. I love the solutions-based uh, foundation that this story has. And I'm curious, what has been the reception uh, at um, openings or at other festivals that you've attended? Has it been yeah. universally the same or have you noticed like a, a, a shift? Um, yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. It's been really interesting. Um, the crowd that generally comes to a film festival, you know, I'm going to just like wager that they tend to be more liberal, yeah. more um, like into arts and culture. So they're less like the crowd that is going to, you know, mm-hmm. hunt me down over this film. Uh, thank goodness. <laughs> that being said, you know, when I did meet Lauren, you know, we were in Arkansas when Roe was overturned, which was like a truly insane experience to be there and like feel this strange internal experience. So while at the festivals, my reception has been, you know, great. and People have felt really seen by the film and asked great questions. And it's just been just a remarkable experience. What's been fascinating is taking Ubers around the um, the festivals. That I was I'm visiting. That same thing. Yeah. Yes, it's amazing. Like I, you know, people ask about the film. At first, I'm like, oh, we we have a short film, and then they want to know about it, and then I tell them, and it's so interesting because some people have been very supportive. My favorite, my personal favorite experience was I shared what the film was about, and the man driving my Uber literally just went, ah. And then he said nothing else. And I'm like, you know what? I'd rather that than him just like tell me I'm going to hell or whatever. But yeah, I had somebody in Cleveland ask if we've received death threats. And I thought the conversation was going to go in this really sinister way. Um, But then he was like, I loved your film. I'm just curious whether people are, you know, and I was like, we haven't. And we are hoping it stays that way. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a unique experience for sure. So wild. What I particularly loved about the film, and it reminded me actually of me and Alejandro's film, because Alejandro and I also filmed our film in January of 2020. And our film also looks at the importance of a friendship who, you know, that hasn't been fully formed, somebody that you don't know very well, but having that one person to walk you through an important experience, like how that really can make a difference for you, just having that support. And when you were working with that other actress, I love how she's sort of cold to you in the beginning Mm. of the film. And then you sort of warm up to that scene where you're eating popsicles together. How do you think that having that support and, you know, I know there's phone banking options. I know that like, there's a lot of different ways you can get involved in communities now where Roe v. Wade, you know, will no longer be relevant in a lot of different states. What do you think there are ways now or how how can people get involved to support the film, support the cause and provide that support to people who may be needing it? That's a great question. I mean, first things first, I would, you know, look into different organizations in your state or in, um, you know, somebody once suggested to me we like did a little screening and we raised money for a uh, abortion foundation that was in Chicago because Chicago or Illinois is surrounded by states that are 
read and abortion access is going to be really limited, limited and eliminated in some cases. And um, that's where a lot of people are going to be flocking to uh, get procedures. So like thinking strategically about putting, putting your efforts there. I think there's something really to normalizing abortion. You know, if people want to, you know, if people either want to share stories of abortion in general, of their abortion, you know, I think that's a really like lovely, cathartic, generous thing. And, you know, like if it's really moving to you, take the free abortion doula training, you know, like learn these skills. I'm sure even if you don't choose to practice that, like what a wonderful, loving gift to have and to be able to provide that service, even just for like a loved one where they can ask you questions and, you know, rely on you to have that type of knowledge and those skills under your belt. I think those are great things that you can do. Absolutely. Did that answer your question? 100%. And I think on that note, we can get into today's letter, right? Alejandro, would you like to do the honors or shall I get one? So, all right. So we have... Sorry, just kidding. Uh, Dear damsels, not going to lie, I feel like the recent Supreme Court decision really impacted my dating life. I know that sounds weird, but I live in Atlanta, which, while being a part of a swing state, has many different types of people from all political backgrounds. I can't help but feel like I'm judging everyone I go on a date with. And if they're not liberal, I automatically judge them. I find myself coming off as aggressive on first dates by asking questions that matter to me, like, are you pro-choice? How do you feel about LGBTQ plus people? What would we do if you got me pregnant? (laughs) These to me are inherently moral issues. And I would rather people who don't agree with these things to not waste my time. However, I now get into arguments on most of my dates because if they're not disagreeing with me, then they feel caught off guard by my interrogations. (laughs) How do I find the middle ground and learn to not hate men again or blame them for our political climate? I just want to partner on my same page. Love always. Politics is affecting my potential partnerships. Wow. What a letter. Ooh, that is juicy. I feel like I could have written this about like friendships, honestly. I mean, I was yeah. at recently yeah. and my boyfriend saw because he was in the bachelor party and I wasn't that somebody was wearing like a Trump 2024 hat. And he was like, hey, like, I need you to not get into any political conversations here. Like, please, please don't. I'm like, is that a challenge or a threat? Because I'm ready. <laughs> You're like, now I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love this letter. I have some thoughts. Go ahead. Okay. So first things first, what I would say is like, I really hear you. So I'm going to, I'm speaking to this person like directly as, as you, this is the you I'm referring to. So I really hear you. That sounds really stressful. I really understand a lot of, you know, the angst and fear. We have a lot of stuff going on in the world and it's really stressful. And, you know, it's really important to sit with those feelings and be with those feelings and process them. And I'm going to say something that probably is not even at all what you're looking for, because I'm not really going to answer your question. I'm going to draw your attention to some of what you've shared. So first things first, this is the line that stand out, stood out to me. I now get into arguments on most of my dates because if they're not disagreeing with me, they feel caught off guard by my interrogations. Let's just talk about that. Like, let's talk about the energy you're bringing into a first date. 
and, and the idea that you don't want to be wasting your time. So one of the things I always say about a first date is it's just getting dinner with someone. It's just getting a drink with someone. It's like a chill hangout time for people to get to know each other. You know, how much time are you really going to be wasting before you start learning things about a person that are important to you in terms of making a determination about whether they're a person that you want to be with? I would also say like your feelings are so justified about what's going on in this world and they, they need to be honored and loved on and expressed. I would really encourage you to sit with them and to feel them before you're going out on these dates. Mm-hmm. Like your potential partner, even if they had the exact same viewpoints as you, they're not going to solve the angst that you're feeling about this current situation. They're not. Even if you have a partner with similar ideology, you might might find yourself saying something like, why is he personally as upset about abortion as I am? You know what I mean? Like we can't hold our partners and potential partners to that that standard. So first I'd say find a place to really process those feelings because they're big and they deserve to be heard. And then ask yourself like, what are you seeking in these dates, Mm -hmm. right? Like, are you seeking an echo chamber? Or are you seeking to like, connect with a person, learn about a person, learn about yourself, start there. I have one other thought. I want to just think about what you said. There was one other thing. I think the main reason why I bring this forward is you said multiple people have said that you're coming off as aggressive, right? You know, if that was a contained experience, if you were hearing that feedback once, I'd be like, my guy's a dick. You know (laughs) what I mean? But the fact that this has occurred on multiple occasions makes me feel like, okay, what are you bringing into those dates? And the whole time you're doing that interrogation, I would just say, like, be super loving with yourself. It's okay. Times are fucked up right now. Like, it's okay to have feelings. And this is not serving your dating life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I read it, first of all, I love that take that you had about looking at the anger portion of it. When I read it, I felt like this person almost needed a friend or like to know that the community of people that they felt heard by from their political passions that you know they weren't in this area where everybody didn't just support them or disagree with them and there's so many communities out there that you know aren't necessarily local that you can go online my boyfriend was just um phone banking for kansas um because they had an election today um and you know he found a community there of people who were like-minded um and wanted to have the same conversation so i feel like if you need to feel supported about these like look aside from the dating life for community and um, for people who are interested in the same things as you. The second part of how I feel about it is like, if you're going on these dates and it's immediately starting with anger or interrogation, why not try to have a beautiful conversation? Because as Mariah and I mentioned, when you go to film festivals, you're meeting people who predominantly feel the same way as you do about many of these issues. When you go on a date, especially where you're living, you're meeting the people who are the minds that we need to be changing or the minds that we need to be finding a middle ground with to be discussing. And I'm not saying that you should go on a date for that reason. In fact, I'm really saying that you should not. You're going on a date to find a partner, which I was also wondering, can you filter for political preferences on the app? Um, Yeah, or like put that in your bio or something. If it's going to like, because obviously that's stopping you from trying to have a conversation about anything else. But I think that you should look for all of the things that do bring you joy to at least go on these dates, trying to have a positive experience instead of like 
almost filtering out the dates for yourself before you even give your chance, give yourself a chance. Because I don't know about you, Mariah, but like there are plenty of issues that I have grown from in my relationship. And like my boyfriend and I are both entirely different people than when we first started dating like seven years ago. And there's both issues that we've compromised, issues that we've had to see or look a different way. And, you know, why can't you even give yourself that option when you're going on these dates and meeting people? Yeah, I 100% agree. And even like, the truth is my partner and I, you know, we're very morally in alignment, but like politically, we have different takes on different issues. And at first in our relationship, that used to really scare and trigger me. So the fact that this is the letter that came through today, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I really am the person to answer this. So, you know, when we used to have these conversations, I just, you know, automatically just become so defensive and shut the, that shit down right away. And I wouldn't even be able to hear another perspective because I was so scared about him being different than me. So scared about what friends might say. And then like, we had many conversations about how we were going to have those conversations. And granted, I will caveat this thing. Like we're in alignment in a lot of ways. There are just some things that he, he just frankly feels different than I do. Anyways, we've gotten to a point now where we, when we have these conversations, we like set pretty strong boundaries around them. And I've actually really learned and expanded and started to see things a little bit differently than I, I did in, in the bubble of my community. And, you know, what a gift in a relationship to figure out like together through discussing these things, new ways of assessing issues, new solutions to these major problems in the world that we see that we might not have even arrived at if like we were in that echo chamber. Totally. My attention is drawn to the sentence where the letter writer says, these to me are inherently moral issues. And Mm. I'm reminded of when you were describing Mariah, like when a person is having sex and if you're caught up in your head, focus on your partner and I really, I find like maybe this letter writer just like doesn't need to think about finding out about the other person in terms of how they fit into the boxes that they have, but understanding what boxes are important to that other person, because maybe through Mm. that contrast, compare and contrast analysis, like, you know, I think that's where important findings can be had because I don't want to say it's selfish, but. I mean, it is important to understand like where the alignment is and to hold one's values like strongly. However, I think on the other side of that, it's important to kind of like get outside of oneself to really understand where the other person is coming from because there could be trauma, there could be generational issues that are influencing a person's perspective and interesting conversations and possible partnership or compatibility could be explored on a deeper level by, again, taking oneself outside of one's kind of centeredness. Does that make sense? No, it makes so much sense. I think it is actually like a really brilliant point and a way to date with a lot more um, curiosity and generosity. Like, Mm. you know, if you're coming in, trying to look for ways to eliminate a person and see how they fit into a mold you've created, you're not learning anything from that date. You're like going in in judgment. You're going in basically looking to be disappointed. So like, of course, you're feeling really stressed out and negative about dating. And all of this isn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with you for going through this, dear writer. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. There's so much going on in the world. All of it makes so much sense. 
And it's just like a more loving way you could date for yourself is to go in with more love and curiosity. Like Alejandro said, you could just keep the focus like on, on learning and exploring and maybe having like a really surprising, exciting, wonderful conversation with someone. The stakes can be so much lower. And you know what they say, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I'm glad there's no better way to argue back than learning the other side of the argument. There you go. <laughs> On a totally different note, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I agree with everything that's been said, but, um, you know, just thought I'd provide a little humor to my uh, politically aligned friend over here. I hear ya. But Mariah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Truly, you have been a dream. Thank you so much for all of the amazing advice. Please tell us not only how we can stay updated on you and your work, but also some of the resources that you mentioned at the end of the short film as well. I mean, oh my gosh. So you can find me, you know, I am like not an Instagram queen. I post every 6,000 years. Maybe I'll get better at it one day. Uh, maybe not. But if you want to find me that way, um, it's at King Mariah. You can also, you know, reach out to me via email. So my email address is Bess, B-E-S-S dot Mariah, M-A-R-I-A-H at gmail.com. You guys should definitely contact Mariah if you're looking for a sex and love coach. Obviously, she's been giving amazing advice. And I know that she will help you with all of the trials and tribulations you may be going through in your dating life. Thanks. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. What a joy this was. Oh my goodness. That was so much fun. She, honestly, she blew my wig across the room. It's stuck to the wall at this point. Like, it's somewhere in between the donuts for our listeners who are uh, it's, watching it's on YouTube. somewhere in between the donuts and the books. Just, oh my God, no. Like, everything that she said was, like, it was eye-opening. Also, these are some of the things that she shared were also like, you know, things that I feel like we think about but might be too scared to say or share with another person. And like that kind of, fearlessness that she conveyed. I I'm, I love her, oh my God. And that willingness to be open and share that information with others, I think is so critical. Absolutely, oh my God. Well, everybody, we hope that you liked today's episode as much as we did. Please go follow Mariah, please email her if you're interested in learning more about her work. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple and Spotify. Truly, that makes such a difference in helping us get to help more people like you. We're always waiting for your letters or voicemails if you so choose to send an anonymous one. But yeah, we're waiting to hear from you. So keep in touch. And utilize that link tree for all of the ways that you need to on finding a way to communicate with us. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. <laughs> Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.